And then there's always this, um, you drive me crazy. That's the name of the series that we're in. See, that joke just never gets old. Um, What you drive me crazy is trying to address is that God has said through his son, Jesus, that we get a brand new life through him. Only way you can get a brand new life. Um, You can be born again, Jesus said. You get a brand new life. Uh, You also get a better life with the new one than the one that you have. Uh, or the one that you had. And this series really speaks to what Jesus spoke of, and that is he will make you better at life if you will allow him to lead you. That's why we don't just refer to ourselves as Christians, but as Christ followers. At its heart, relationships are where it's at. A good relationship with God, good relationship with other people. So if you've missed any of this series, um, because we're on part number five, Please go back and check them out. They kind of each stand on their own because um, there's so much to learn about relationships. I mean, I know a lot of you have it all figured out and you can't. Uh, You know, there's nothing else we can teach you on that. That's good. I'm just kidding. You can never learn too much about relationships. God teaches us about it. Today, we're going to be talking about healthy relationship boundaries. What I think is interesting about what we're going to do is that this pattern that I'm about to uh, hopefully show you uh, clearly is that there's a pattern in which God has been relating to us as a good father. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but two key words, and that is grace and truth. And we'll get to that here in just a minute. But I want to set you up for sometimes the way that it feels out of balance, because it is out of balance, is... This, this couple who had raised their daughter to full adult maturity. She'd gone off to college, gotten her degree. She was, uh, you know, like, I think I'm going to develop a relationship uh, looking for a guy who I can marry. She came home, told her dad, particularly said, Dad, I'm so excited. You've taught me so well. I think I found the man that I'm going to marry. And I've set up an appointment for you to meet with him, Dad, because, you know, I trust you and your wisdom toward me and all of those kinds of things. Dad said, no problem. This is going to be great. He and the young man got together. And um, the dad, you know, was very kind. He said, I got three questions for you. He said, number one, do you have a job? (laughs) Because, you know, gainful employment is really important. He said, "Do do you have a job? He said, no, sir, I sure don't. It was a quietness between them. And then the young man said, but God will provide. Okay, good. He said, well, do you have any savings? Do you have any investments that you've made ahead of time that would prepare you for a life of marriage? He said, no, sir, I don't. Don't have a penny in savings. But God will provide. He said, okay, well, um, do you have any dreams? Do you have any aspirations? He said, no, pretty much live day to day. But God will provide. After that was done and they'd parted ways, the dad went back and was just debriefing with the mom. And the dad said to the mom, said, well, that was interesting. And he said, and I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. He said, she said, well, tell me the bad news first. Well, he seems nice enough, but he doesn't have a job. He doesn't have any savings or investments. And it appears he has absolutely no goals. And she's going, well, that's awful. It's like, so what's the good news? He said, he thinks I'm God. 
The reason I think we laugh about that is more than likely you're in a relationship with someone who expects you to be God. And that's not really the way the God wants us to operate. We get into it innocently enough because it's kind of the way most people just behave. But I want you to see that Scripture tells us and shows us this pattern over and over again that we ought not to look to other people to take responsibility for our life. The people that you're in relationship that drive you crazy, chances are if you examine it a little bit closer is they're expecting you to take responsibility for some area of their life that they should be taking responsibility for and yet it seems like it gets shuffled off onto you. They want you to be God in some way. They want you to be the defining factor. They want you to be the solution. Please, they're, they're, they're essentially saying in so many words, please be God to me um, in my money. Because I had some, but the month is way longer than the money, and I need you to be God for me. Or I need you to be God, and I need you to make up for the, uh, the inadequacies or the weaknesses in my personality. Because, you know, that's just the way I am. So if you could just make the adjustment, that would be awesome. And you be God. Or in my failures, I failed again. It's like, well, did you try anything different than the last time? No, but I'm, I'm trying real hard. It's like, so you're wanting me to be God in your failures or in your job or in your emotions. Is there anyone in the room who would say, I've got a crazy maker in my life that does that? You don't have to show hands, just a, a good like, mm, or amen, or yeah, okay, yeah. God never intended for you to be God for anyone. God never intended for you and I to take responsibility for someone else's life. We ought to work in cooperation with them, and we will see that. But I need you to think critically about this and think of who is asking me to be God in their life, to take care of them financially with their uh, foolish choices, their unhappiness, their misery, or whatever it is, or their motivation. Because you have to go back to what Scripture says, and it, this is so interesting to me. A lot of this you will find in a book called Boundaries, and it is beautiful, the, the two uh, guys who wrote it. Um, Henry Cloud and uh, John Townsend, they are committed Christ followers, but they are also, they've studied their whole life about the psychology of this. What's interesting is, it is psychological in the sense of how we get to thinking, but what God's been saying all along for well over 3,000 years, all of a sudden the psychologists climb to the top of the mountain and say, we've discovered it, and the theologians have been standing up at the top of the mountain the whole time. This is ancient wisdom. Proverbs was written some 3,000 years ago by a guy named Solomon and some guys he, he hung out with. He said the fact is that kind of behavior of, of expecting someone else to be God in their life, that never works, but he also said there's a better way. It's in Proverbs 4, verse 23. He says, above all else, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. In the Hebrew, which is what that was written in, above all else means above all else. It means it needs to take a distinct priority. 
And he's saying the wisdom that God is trying to impart to us is one of the most important things you can possibly do is guard your heart. Guard your heart from the intake. Guard your heart from the things that you want to do, but you know they're wrong. Above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from that. In the Hebrew context, heart, uh, it referred to the inner person, uh, the core of who you are. Actually, in, in, in Middle Eastern thought, the heart or the word that is used has to do with the bowels, which changes the whole complexion of a Valentine's card. <laughs> oh, honey, I love you from the bottom of my bowels. It's like, mm, oh, no, don't like it. No, it just has to do with everything you think, everything you feel, who you are, the energy that you are given by God, your inner person, the core of who you are. All of that, your soul, your life. He says, so guard it. Guard your life because everything you do is going to be a result of your thoughts, your feelings, your actions. It's all knit together. And if someone is driving you crazy because they're insisting that you take care of them and you start giving into that, then you're probably not guarding your heart properly. You're, I know for what, because I've lived on both sides of this coin. If you are giving in to that, you be God to me, you be God for me in my life, you are certainly not living in a healthy and wise way because things will get out of balance so quickly and it is really, really hard to recover, but it is possible. I want us to see that there is a better and healthier way. So, first thing I want you to understand, what is the goal of what we're talking about today? What are we shooting for? How will we know we have hit the target? Well, I will tell you, because I believe that God's word is true and it is trustworthy, we ought to apply it because he is the one who gives us new life, a better life, and teaches us how to be better at life. My bias is, is that God's design for relationships trumps all other teaching. I believe that God's design for our relationship is where it's at. His plan has two elements that are at the core of everything he tries to tell us. Two elements that will keep your relationships healthy and sane. You can see it throughout scripture. All the way back at the beginning in Genesis whenever he created a man and a woman and he put them in a perfect place which we refer to as the Garden of Eden, in which he was able to interact with them on a daily basis. It's been happening since then. It's what God's been trying to get us back to. It's what Jesus came to restore was that relationship where you and God, me and God, that we have a very intimate fellowship with God. That's what the temple, the tabernacle, all of those things are an effort to restore this balance. If you look at the letters that Paul wrote, like Philippians and Galatians, Ephesians, all that, he typically takes a pattern. The first half of his letter has to do with one of these words, and the second half of the letter has to do with this other word. First word of these two elements that he talks about is grace. When Sandy was giving her testimony, her story last week, she referred to the impact of understanding God's grace had on her and continues to have on her. That's why we sing about it. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's the things that you desperately need but you have no way of obtaining because they are given as a gift. You cannot work for them. If you work for them, they're no longer a gift. 
God's riches at Christ's expense. What it comes down to, and, 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 and it's already been said, thank you, Cammie, for that spiritual direction that you gave during the, the worship time. You said this, is that God's for you. The reason that we have a cross is not to be super religious. We just never want to lose sight that God's son, Jesus Christ, and what he did on that cross is proof that God is not mad at you anymore. He took all of his anger over our unrighteousness and put it onto Jesus, and then he gave us Jesus' righteousness. That's incredible. God is for you. He's not against you. The, the grace of God also reminds us that he already, and he did it by himself, he did not look to us and say, well, I wonder if they're worth it. I don't know. They've only rated up about a three. No. He said, I love you. And he says it to you. And there is nothing that you can do to make the intensity go up. You can't do more good things to get him to love you more. And you say, but I, I, I screw up. Mm -hmm. We're a colossal collection of moral fallops. That's why we need Jesus. It's all about the grace. There's nothing that you can do to make him love, uh, that, that will make him love you any less. The grace of God is so amazing, hence the reason amazing grace. But you need to understand, where is this coming from? How does he express grace to us? And it comes in two different directions. We think of it vertically because we think of God as being above us. The reality is it comes through God, through his son, Jesus Christ. We discover it in his word, and it is validated by the Holy Spirit of God. That's why we were saying, well, I've heard your whisper in the dead of night. How is it that people in every culture have experienced this, except that God is alive and well? He's not against you, he's for you. He expresses it vertically, but he also expresses it horizontally. Peter referred to this, I'll talk about it here in just a moment. But in this horizontal thing that we call the church, what we're trying to do is I'm trying to show you the grace of God and you are reflecting the grace of God back to me. That thing that we do not deserve, but we so desperately need, it's what you and I are experiencing whenever we get together and our teams are coming together and we are, have this give and take of grace to and from each other and we are reflecting what God is doing. If you don't know it, if you're a Christ follower, you need to be a part of a local body of believers and that might be Rock Springs. You need to check it out. But we are the delivery system of a portion of God's grace. And that's the way you are to be with your family and your neighbors and the people who don't vote like you. Peter said this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to make your life feel so much better, to get rich. Nah. You should use whatever gift God has given you that you receive from him to serve others. And why are you doing that? Because you are a faithful steward. It doesn't belong to you. You are a manager. You are a steward. You are an ambassador. I take this, I give it, but I go back and report to the owner. And he's the owner. So he says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received, and this is how you live your life. At home, at work, when you're serving at church, in the community, serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. 
You've received it, now pass it on. And he says, and it comes in various forms. The King James Version says, in the manifold grace of God. The many folds of God's grace. Relationships that have great grace are great relationships. If there is humility and grace in relationships, those relationships get better. And I know a lot of you come and sit in this room hoping your relationships get better. It's not going to happen simply because you sit and listen for an hour or so to an oblong dud like me. It has to do with you understanding that God loves you and he expects you to get up off of your blessed assurance and love other people like he loves you. That's not even my notes, but I think that was anointed. I really do. Okay. The reason that relationships with great grace make great relationships is because they're safe. They are secure. There is no condemnation in them. Whenever you and I find those, and I hope that you can experience, because once you do, you will never go back. You, if you find a, a relationship with great grace, what you're understanding is that you can listen and it matters and you can also be heard that you can jump in with your energy and your giftedness and you can help and in the same way you can humbly receive help from other people because a lot of you think man i'm gonna pull myself up by my own bootstraps it doesn't work i've tried it i'm even wearing my boots today i can't do it You can't either. I'm just saying, isn't that a way better way to live, to, to, to listen and be heard, to help and be helped out instead of being shut down or shut out? I mean, what kind of relationship do you have? That's the way you're living. I'm just saying grace is the foundation of building a great life and a great relationship. But here's the other one, and we often neglect one or the other, and we'll see that here in a minute. The other important thing is truth. Truth. We live in a time, and see, I didn't, I would say at 62 right now, and then looking back, let's say, 40 years, and, and, and tried to be aware of what was going on in the world, I I've frankly expected the United States to be like so many other countries, is that over time we drift from our original principles and stuff. I just didn't think it would happen in my lifetime. Just didn't think that. But we even have the nonsense that goes around, it's like, well, you just live your truth. Okay, those are just nonsense words. Because truth is not something I own or you own. Truth is not something that you make up, fabricate, stitch together. I don't have a repository. You know, I'm a preacher, so therefore I've got truth. It belongs to me. Truth is truth. It stands outside of you. It is a thing beyond you. And God possesses that. Not us. Not society. Not a democracy. Not a monarchy. It, it, it exists in Him. Truth. The way things really are. Not the way that we wish they were. Not the way that we think that they are. Not just the things that we say as loudly as anybody on the internet. Not just because we say it loud in all caps. <laughs> See, it's just like the uh, uh, physics. 
if I were to jump off of this stage, I'm going to land on the floor. I think it would be really cool if I jumped off this stage and I could fly. I'd like to say that was my truth. It's not my truth. Gravity is gravity. The truth of morality is the same. There is a right. There is a wrong. I didn't make it up. You didn't make it up. It stands outside of us. All cultures know it. There's even truth about relationships. We like to pretend that they don't exist in relationships, but they do. Whenever you acknowledge truth in a relationship, what you're essentially saying over a cup of coffee is you believe that there is a wisdom that comes from experience in relationships that's based on God's truth. And maybe, just maybe, because we talked about this um, in the foolproof series, is that maybe you didn't know it. And that wise person is ahead of you and you open up your ears, your heart, your mind and you listen to truth that exists outside of you and it helps you because you learn. It's truth is whenever you get the feedback from your friends, your coworkers, your family, the people who are constant in your life and they love you. I'm just telling you, if you do enough study on this, you will realize that all truth, whether it is physics, morality, relationships, all truth goes back to and originates in the person of God. We live by these principles, but if you trace them back, it goes back to precepts that undergird everything in, 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 in what we know. And that goes back into the person of God. And we have such a blessing in that we have been gifted with 66 documents that God inspired. And 40 different people wrote over 1,300 years, four different continents, and yet it has one cohesive message about Jesus. God's word is truth. Ephesians, Paul was talking to his friends. He said, speaking the truth Speaking the truth that we've been talking about on all these things. Speaking the truth and we do it in love. Because I don't know, if, have you ever met anyone who had a lot of truth and they wanted to use it like a baseball bat? <laughs> he said, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect, in every aspect of our life, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. If you and I keep pursuing Jesus Christ, not just you and not just me, but we together. This is my New Year's message back at New Year's. That's always a good time to give a New Year's message. Anyway, I talked about that we together form this, this building, this temple that Jesus is, is inhabiting. The Spirit of God is inhabiting. He says, if we keep on practicing this truth in love, we will grow to be this complete mature body of him who is the head. I'm just trying to get you to see there, is two thing, there are two things at work. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. Say it with me. Grace and truth. And God integrates both of them together in ways that we cannot even do. But he says this is how we ought to do our relationships. Grace gives you a solid foundation to even have friends, to have family, to have a community. It is grace. It is, it is not this tearing one another apart. It's treating one another with what they need instead of what they deserve. It is the foundation of life and relationships and truth is the raw material that you bring to build on that foundation. 
You have a good foundation, then you have really good material that you build a life, a relationship on. Um, to, to, to make it into like a driving thing. Grace is the free and open road. Yay! I love a good road trip. Grace is free and it is, is the open road and truth is the driving skills that keeps you out of the ditches. Are y'all, are y'all rolling with me on this? Because are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? Okay. Grace is God saying to you, I'm for you, no matter what. Truth is God saying, know what I'm telling you so you don't screw up the freedom that I've already given you. Okay? God says when truth and grace, grace and truth are together, things just go better. Because whenever we take one out or we get them out of balance without grace and truth, your life and your relationships are crazy. They are crazy making and there's something inside of you that goes, it's not supposed to be this way. That is correct. Solomon said that in Ecclesiastes. He said, it's not supposed to be this way. You have echoes of eternity in your heart and in your soul. What are you missing? Probably missing a little grace, missing a little truth. Your relationships without grace and truth get messed up. They get out of balance. They're unhealthy. They find themselves, you, I mean, you find yourself in damaging relationships, the relationships that are unsafe and weak and they're not durable. I know this is obvious, but I think we should fill in the blanks. In other words, crazy relationships are out of balance. Could I get an amen? Yeah, okay. Let me show you a couple of different ways in which they get out of balance and maybe you will understand uh, not only just the words I'm saying, but you will feel the feelings and that is, they can get out of balance like someone who has no self-control. Mm-hmm. Do you know anybody who's got no self-control? I'm talking about the behavior. Don't look at the people that you're thinking of. That's not a good plan in services like this. I'm talking about people whose behavior, their, their actions, their attitudes also are off the charts. They're very impulsive. They just do whatever they feel like and whatever comes to mind. And we know that, you know, while in a young teenager uh, or so, that's, <laughs> look at him. It's like, but whenever you turn in 35 and you're still doing the same things, like, <laughs> that ain't funny no more, okay? It's destructive. And people who are out of control with no self-control, they damage the people around them because they are literally defying God's laws of relational physics. Out-of-control people trample on grace. They run it over. They, they just, they, they, they mistreat it. And they certainly are ignoring truth. Go back and look at the foolproof series. I will say it, like I said, in that series, you can try to break God's laws. Relational, uh, physical. But you'll never break one of God's laws. But it will break you. Just like if I were to jump off a 10-story building saying I'm going to float. The law still stays intact. I just get all, well, let's have a, yep, let's have a moment of silence and then move on, right? God says again and again and again through his scripture to avoid the road of no control. Romans 13, 13. Paul said to his friends in Rome, he said, let's behave decently. There is a right, there is a wrong, there is a decency, there is an indecency. He said, let's choose to behave decently as we do in the daytime because human beings have a tendency to do the very wrong things at night. 
But he said, let's behave decently as in the daytime. He says, don't go down the road of carousing and drunkenness. Just look up those words. Those are fun. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery. There's another one. Look that one up. Not in dissension or jealousy. Those things get people so off track. It destroys people's lives. Don't go that way. To make it more relevant to what we're talking about right now. It's like being in a relationship with an addict. And I'm so glad we have a church that just tries to practice really the principles that Jesus laid down in the Beatitudes. I'm so glad we have a specific environment called Celebrate Recovery. But let me also tell you, Celebrate Recovery is not just because you have an addiction. It's for life hurts, grief, just all kinds of things. But addiction is a thing. A lot of us are addicted to stuff that's legal. But if you're in a relationship with someone who is addicted to something, a substance, it could be uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. If that person is truly addicted, their life is spinning around that. They have lost sight of grace and truth. They trample on grace and they ignore truth. I'm not speaking anything of condemnation. I have friends who have been addicts. They tell me this is how it works. And you say, well, I have somebody in my life like that. Well, yeah, because we're all a colossal collection of moral fallops. There's no us and them. It's just him and us. Many of us have people like that in our life, and we certainly, if we still have a heart and the heart of Christ, we want to help people, right? But very often, because you love that person, you start taking responsibility for their problems, you start taking responsibility for their pain, their addiction, their life. You try to straighten it out. And you can call it whatever you want to call it. It's been called so many different things. Well, you're trying to be a parent. You're enabling them. You're rescuing them. You're codependent. We throw around these phrases and stuff. We all try to do that at some... You can call it whatever you want. I will just simply say, and I need an amen from people who tried. That does not work. The reason it doesn't work is because it's not based on grace and truth. Whenever you try to do that for them, they don't get better. And neither do you. The, the classic illustration, this, 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 this woman's got a, a, you know, a guy, this boyfriend, he's a nice guy. But he's got a drinking problem. I mean... You tell him he's got a drinking problem. He's like, I don't have a drinking problem. I don't have a problem drinking at all. Not a, not, not a one. You say, well, how do you know he's got a drinking problem? Because every time he drinks, he gets drunk. He's got a drinking problem. Now, he doesn't think he's got a drinking problem. He thinks he's, he's got a girlfriend nagging at me problem. But she has a plan. She's got a plan. Number one, you ask her, what's your plan? It's like, uh, here's what I'm going to do. When he goes out drinking with his friends, I'm going to be the, the DD. I'm going to be the designated driver. And I'm just going to sit there and I'm going to watch them get drunk. Man, that's a wonderful life, isn't it? Hmm, sounds like a fun time to me. What's the rest of your plan? She says, well, I have a, a lot. You know what I got? I picked up a lot of CR material. Because it's got the 12 steps and it's got the eight principles. 
and there's some other stuff. I can even get them a, a CR Bible. And I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all my CR and 12-step material. I'm going to leave them at his house on his coffee table so that when he sobers up, he's going to look at that and go, she was so thoughtful for leaving all this helpful information out in front of me. I'm going to read that, and my life is going to be completely changed. That's never going to happen, y'all. That's not how that works. I even know of a woman who took the CR material. She was married to the guy, so they lived together. She would unroll the toilet paper and put little notes from CR up in the toilet paper. Just saying, don't do that, okay? Don't do that. Her plan also says, you know what? I'm not only going to just, you know, be the designated driver and I'm going to leave lots of CR stuff around. I'm going to text him a couple of times a day to see if he's drinking. Yeah, okay. Are you doing something bad right now? That's not grace and truth. If she does that, what she feels is she feels helpless and miserable because he's not changing, and he's okay with it because he's not changing. It's still okay. That is not God's law. I mean, that is God's law of relational physics, but it's God's law of uh, relational physics being ignored. It's why it's out of balance. It's crazy. It's out of control because grace and truth are not at work, and that's why God says it just won't work. Okay, that's being out of balance in one direction, but here's another one, and this one is one I'm more in touch with and the kind of the environment I grew up in, maybe you too, okay? And that is when someone's controlling someone else. On one hand, you've got someone who's out of control of their own, but then you could also be crazy out of balance because someone's controlling somebody else. You go from no control to too much control. Because if you, and again, don't look at anyone, this is a situation where someone is attempting to or is literally controlling you. It is, there's a whole book, a whole letter. It's called Galatians in which Paul tells us that it is because of Jesus Christ that we are free. Freedom! It is because of Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ever-present spirit that brings us freedom. One of the freedoms that we have is the freedom or the liberty to choose. In Galatians 5.1, Paul says it is for freedom. The whole purpose of freedom is for freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You are free is what he's saying. So if you're standing in freedom, then stand firm in that freedom and then do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't live like you used to. Live in the new freedom with new habits and new responsibilities. Folks, if you know Jesus Christ as your forgiver and leader, you have been set free. Free from your past. Free from your sin and the condemnation of that sin. You are going to have to work out that salvation to overcome the temptation over and over again. And you will get stronger. But you have choices. You have the ability to make choices in your relationships and to manage your time, your talent, your treasures, and everything you've been given. You are no longer bound to your habits. You can go where God wants you to go. You have to listen to him. You can say what God wants you to say, but you have to hear what he has to say, and then you go and say what you need to say. You can decide how you are going to spend your time and your money. You can decide in any given situation what you ought to do. 
You are free to say what's important to you. You have liberty to accept things. You have the liberty to reject things. It goes throughout our whole life. But I will also tell you, there are still some people in your life who do not want you to experience that freedom. They will be the kinds of folk in your life who say you need to go along with the plan that I have laid down for you because if you're going to go along, then perhaps we can get along. It's the kind of person who says, you know what? It's going to be my way or the highway. And the intimidation factor feels so large, it's like, well, I guess it's going to be your way. And I'm saying grace and truth are falling out of balance. Because if you, if you disagree, you know this to be true. That's when things blow up with that person. You say, they're control, control freaks. Mm-hmm, they are. And they usually work in one of two ways. I know this because I have been a control freak. And I think confession's good for the soul. And a lot of y'all need to confess it too. Here we go. One of the ways it works is control freaks will try to control you with their anger. Already described it. If you don't do it my way, I'm going to be mad at you. I'm going to stay mad at you till you do it my way. I'm going to blow up. I'm going to blow up. I'm threatening you. If we don't do it the right way, I'm about to blow up. And I'll start using all the abusive words. And if the words don't work, I'm just going to get violent. And if you don't do what I want, I'm going to throw a fit. Adults actually do this stuff. The other way they'll try and control you is they'll control you by guilt. They don't blow up. What they do is, well, if you don't do it my way, I'm going to be so hurt. You're going to break my heart. It's like the grown man got his own family. He has had the habit in the past of going by to see his mom when they go on a trip because she doesn't live in the same city as, her, as him anymore. He calls her up and says, Mom, we're going on a trip, but this time we're not going to be coming your way. Long silence. Do you know how long I was in labor with you? <laughs> I guess that doesn't mean anything that you can't come four states over to see me. Am I hitting anywhere near where you live? Leanne and I were talking about it the other day. Because we were so blessed that we had all our grandparents, parents, when we got married. Y'all, sorry, Christmas was hell. Because I'm just telling you, they did not all live in one long line. of. It's like we had to go over there, and then we had to go over there, and then we had to go over there, and then we had to go over there. And when you're over here, they were like, why aren't they over here celebrating Christmas with us? Am I right, Mama? Yeah. You've, you've felt that pain too, haven't you? Yeah. So I'm just asking, is your crazy maker out of control or are they trying to control you? Are they doing it by anger or are they doing it by guilt? Either way, that is not the healthy way to live, y'all. It's not good for you. It's not God's dream for you. So how do you get back to the grace and truth that God wants? That's where it comes back to building these boundaries. You say, I got a boundary. I'm going to put a moat around my house and we're going to put alligators in it. That'll be a good boundary. 
Now, I'm not talking about uh, a moat. I'm not even talking about a wall. I'm talking about, you know, good fences make good neighbors. That's a biblical principle. (laughs) Old Testament says don't move the boundary lines. Why? Because good fences make good neighbors. The line that is drawn in your relationships basically says, this is my responsibility. If I cross over the line, this is your responsibility. You're not responsible for my stuff. I'm not responsible for yours. Y'all with me? Okay. We all know it, but we just don't practice it. here's, Here's the thing. If the plumbing breaks in my house, it's my problem. I would say I fix it. I don't fix it. I call people who can fix it. That's what I do. But I don't call up my neighbor and say, hey, my plumbing's broken. You're supposed to be taking care of this for me. Because I don't, when my neighbor's plumbing breaks, I don't run over there and do it, you know, fix it for him. Because it's his responsibility. You remember that Proverbs says, guard your heart? Your heart Your soul, who you are, is your property line. And everything inside of that is your responsibility. A boundary protects everything inside of the line. I'm just saying boundaries are what restores God's balance. Okay, we need to take this home. What do we know so far? Number one goal for our relationships is grace and truth. Number two, our situations include crazy makers, and sometimes we are the crazy makers. Because we either have new, you know, we've got people who have no control or too much control. And then the third thing is God expects and will equip us to take responsibility for the important stuff in our life. So what's the wise way to handle that responsibility? Number one, love people, love others without rescuing them. Love them without rescuing them. Loving and rescuing are two different things. Love says with all sincerity because this is what Jesus has done for you. He says, I mean, love says, I got your back. I'm on your team. I'm not against you. I'm for you. But love also completes the sentence that says, but I'm not going to fix your problems for you. Because I don't, I can't. I can't. But you, with God's help, most certainly can. Galatians 6, verses 2 and 5. Love this. Love this. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Each one should carry his own load. That's, he says it right there, and then says it again. And like in English, it's like, well, it sounds like you're being, that doesn't make any sense. What did you just say? Because in the original Greek where he was writing, he said, carry each other's burdens. A better translation would be uh, someone uh, carrying a boulder. Huge. Carry each other's boulders, but in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And then he says, but each one of you should take care of his own backpack. You know, (laughs) I saw some football yesterday. I think it's really cool. I really do think it's cool when some of those, those, those coaches have the law enforcement that walk them onto the field and off the field. I think I'm going to start doing that at church. I need people, I need them to, that'd be cool. And you know, I would also start living the life like, here, you carry my backpack. It's real easy to think, you're the king. No, no, don't go down that road. I want you to see, he says, carry each other's very heavy burdens. And then in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. But you should also carry your own load. Y'all, I got lots of stuff that's important to me. It's in my backpack, and I do not expect you to carry my backpack anywhere. That is my responsibility. It's got snacks in it, because that's important, because I've got low on sugar. I got, I'm just telling you. 
You need to follow me on this. There is the element of being a Christ follower includes sacrifice. You should go the extra mile. You should get the shirt off your back in order to win people to Christ. But also at the same time, at the very same time, there is the tension of personal responsibility. Why Paul says carry each other's burdens and carry your own load is because there are some times when I need, I know I look real strong. Amen. Thank you. I just was hoping somebody would say Amen. Sometimes I'm going to have to call on one or two of you because we're going to have to move a couch. I'm not strong enough to move a sectional by myself. But I'm not going to expect you to carry my backpack. If you and I are having a crushing weight that you cannot carry by yourself, you ought to lean into the family of God. You say, what is a boulder? Well, a chronic illness, a separation or a divorce, uh, having to deal with chronically sick kids, uh, going through a bankruptcy, losing your job, uh, going through the grief of someone that you love deeply has died. The directive is carry each other's boulders, the burdens, get under there, put your shoulder until that person can handle those things again or can handle life by themselves. Amen. But your daily backpack carry each other's load, your daily rations. That's up to you. You have to guard your heart, your thoughts, your values, your tools for making wise decisions, your self-respect, your vigilance, your own humility. No one can carry that for you. But life will go really well when you help other people with their boulders, but we don't expect them to take care of our backpacks. Life will go very poorly if you start going around trying to pick up everybody else's backpack. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to fix you. No, you won't. Because God never intended you to fix anybody else's problems, attitudes, decisions, or feelings. Not your responsibility. I'm just saying, have you ever tried to make a miserable person happy? I have. I've tried it many times. It doesn't work. We need to learn to love each other without rescuing. You say, well, how do I know if I'm loving or rescuing? Well, the simple test is, is what you're doing for them, is that something they could do for themselves? Like getting a job? Like getting clean, getting sober? Getting rid of bad attitudes, solving their own financial problems? Second thing, learn to confront in love. One has to do with grace, the other has to do with truth. Learn to confront with truth, in love. Tell the truth in love. Jesus said in Matthew, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. That means privately. Don't get on Facebook to chastise someone. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you will have won them over. In other words, go and have tough talks. Do it privately. Do it gently. Because if we're living with grace, we're safe and secure. No better climate in which to deal with the blind spots. I've told you all this before. If you truly love me and you are talking to me in a conversation and I got a booger hanging out of my, ma uh, out, out of my mouth, eh, eh, out of my nose, I want you to go, dude, you got a booger in your nose. Okay, I, I want you to do that. Because... You love me. I know I've got you know, secure grace there. But it's like if I go and turn and talk to somebody who's never been here before, that's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. If you love me, tell me I've got spinach in my teeth. I mean, just do you understand what I'm saying? Because you need, in the same way, you may, 
I might need to come to you and go, I don't think you're, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll approach it all right, right. But I was like, did you know that your tone sounds like you're fussing at everybody you talk to? Well, no, I didn't know that. I'm for you. I'm not against you, but you didn't know the truth. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm trying to make us better. Because, see, here's the thing. When I say go love like Jesus, people are not projects. They're people. They're people for whom Christ died and rose again, just like you and me. You are not a project to me. You are a part of me. So I want to be there to the degree that I can to put my shoulder under your heavy burden. But I cannot be God to you. And as much as I really do want to fix everybody, I'm not going to help you carry your backpack. I'll give you instruction on how to do it better because I've been there, done that, got a t-shirt. But I'm also telling you, I don't need you carrying my backpack either. So here's some homework. Here's some skills. Here's some skills. This week, just try these things. Because if you're trying to have better relationships with your crazy makers, skill number one, get in the habit of starting from a position of love. I don't mean warm, fuzzy feelings. I'm saying look at the cross of Jesus Christ and see that you were loved. We say it in our welcome that he is the mighty friend of sinners. He is the ally of his enemies. You have to think that way. He died for you when you were his enemy so that he could make you his friend. Wow. So start from position of love. You say, well, I need something more practical than all that. Okay. Write it on your mirror. I want this person to win. I want their life to win. Now, I'm not saying go and pretend. Mm-mm. I live that life too. Mm-mm. Because here's the facts. You may not like them. There is nowhere in Scripture where we are commanded to like one another. You can actually read of conflict in the New Testament of people who set the church in motion with the power of the Holy Spirit who didn't like one another. It's okay. But the truth is, even though you don't have to like them, because honestly they're really unlikable, and that's in their backpack and they need to work on that, as a Christ follower, you are commanded to love them. To want God's best for them. John records that Jesus said, and he'd been teaching for three years and just said that had literally become scripture living in front of them. And right before, because he's headed toward the cross and they're still going, I don't know what's going on. He says, Let's, hold on boys, let me tell you something. He said, a new commandment I give to you. Can you imagine? Love one another. What? Yeah, love one another. That's not new. He said, I'm not done yet. As I have loved you, you are to love one another. This is before the cross, but within a few hours, he would literally give up his life, be pinned to a cross, bleed out, and die 
And that is what drove them to say, we have never seen love like this. And then whenever he comes back to life and says, y'all remember everything I told you? Okay, you go teach them, baptize them, grow them up, teach them to do the same thing. And let's keep this going, okay? Let's do it. And they reflect back. That's why I love what John, he just recorded so much good stuff. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. Sacrificially, completely, redemptively. God has loved us when we were unlovable. We are supposed to love other people like he loves us. And I hate to keep harping on it, but we live in a time in which truly the salt and light of the local Christ-honoring church is the only hope we have left. Stop hating other people. You may never see eye to eye and you may not like what they stand for, but as a Christ follower, you are commanded to love them. You say, that's a tall order. (laughs) Yeah. But it's also why the church is the only thing that has maintained for 2,000 years. Because people like you and me took this seriously. Because I'm just telling you, this isn't in the notes. When I was growing up and was being taught this, I thought we were serious about it. A lot of people in the church today seem to think, well, that's kind of limp. That's kind of weak. It doesn't really stand the test of time. And I'm saying, we all are going to do what you want to do, but I'm still going with, this is the truth, and this is the way we ought to live. And I'm going to do my darndest to live that way. And I really hope a lot of you will continue to follow me as I follow Christ. I'm just simply saying to you, don't go around trying to fix, change, and punish people. Do what is best for them. Keep telling them the truth. Do it in love. Start with love. Skill number two. Say no when it is best to say no. Let's all practice. Let's say the word no together. One, two, three. No. Okay, let's say it like we mean it. No. Okay. No. No. I'm just saying, I wanted you to know, you can say that word. It is a good and healthy word. It's a good and healthy word like the word yes. Let's all say that. Yes. See, we can use these words. And it's okay to use the no word a little more frequently in your relationships. Especially if they're crazy making like I've been describing to you. But you need to have the wisdom of God which comes from his truth. And that is, when do you say no? Say no when it's best to say no. Jesus said this. It was in a a particular context, but it still has the same meaning. Jesus says all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. What he was saying is whenever you start trying to flower it up, trying to commandeer it, use it as a weapon, doesn't work. He just said Say yes, say no, depending on what truth tells you to do. Now here's where it gets, uh, this is where the rubber meets the road. I, I live in a real world. I don't live in an ivory tower. There are some situations, and I don't mean go home and do this to everybody at all the same time. But I'm saying, if you are in a crazy making relationship, and you start to say, you know what, I'm learning some stuff, I'm learning that God's truth tells me I need to say no, there are going to be some people 
who won't accept your no. Like, I'm sorry, what? And if they don't accept your no, you're going to have to come at it from love to simply say, I want us to be better. Because we keep on doing the same old thing over and over again, expecting different results. And the reason I said no is because I believe there's a better way. Now, here, I've tried my best to counsel people out of divorce and all this kind of thing. If you've got two people in a relationship, be it uh, friendship, it doesn't matter. Unless both of them are willing to work on it, one cannot salvage the other. But you do need to be able to say, based on God's word, that's why you need to know God's word. You can say to your business partner, that offer, that deal, that tone of voice, that, uh, the, you know, your neighbor, that abusive, all that. that that's not working. Don't be mean. Don't be condemning. Just tell the truth. No. We've got to find a better way. So skill number one, love and desire what is best for them. Skill number two, use your words wisely. Skill number three, if you are in a position to do so, give consequences if necessary. Because sometimes you've got to move from saying no to doing no. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Been down that road. Mm-hmm. Because for some reason, people's like, you start saying that you got to move it from just saying words to move it into actions. Proverbs, 3,000 years ago, Proverbs 19, 19 said this, A hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. If you rescue them, you'll have to do it again. Could I get someone who says, I could have written that? There are some people who will disregard your words. They will ignore you when you say this hurts me. They will shut your ears whenever they, you say to them it's not going the way we need. They will ridicule you trying to take steps toward being more healthy in re your relationships. But what they're actually saying to you is I don't care about your words but I do like your actions. So you better move into action because the only thing that's going to change me is pain. And that's when you have to say well good. I can help you enroll in God's school of discipline. Hebrews 12 says, all discipline brings forth the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It's kind of like when three-year-old Justin hits three-year-old Brittany on the head. You don't go to Justin and say, Justin, don't hit Brittany's head because you might mix up her brain and then she'll need remedial work in high school. Because <laughs> you don't want to do that now, do you, Justin? No. What you do is you discipline him. You lovingly enroll him in God's school of discipline because it needs, as all of us know, it needs to cost him something so that he understands where the boundaries of grace and truth are. He has to learn to carry his own backpack in life if he's going to operate in a healthy manner. Because, see, I also work at the other end of this thing, and that is, if you don't do what I just told you, then the consequences of him not listening to your words and you don't take action, there are a lot of 35-year-old Justins out there who are ignoring the words and asking for pain, and they come ask me for, you know, solve my problems, be God for me. So what's the pain? It's not being mean. It's just saying, if you continue to act that way, I'm going to have to leave the room. I cannot be in this relationship this way anymore. If you can continue treating me that way, I'm going to have to go and seek a safe place. If you continue talking to me that way, I'm hanging up the phone. If you continue to choose that direction, I will not be able to give you my money, my time, my energy. I I'll have to give up. 
actually sharing my heart with you. I've got to go back inside my boundaries because I cannot take care of you. These are simple tools. They're easy to understand. They are very difficult to master. But with practice, over time, they do work. I'm living proof of it. They work up close. I've seen it work at a distance. I've seen it in other people's lives. I've seen what God can do. I just want to tell you one more story. It was a very striking example of, of how this happened. There's a family uh, that a friend of mine happens to be a counselor. Family in his church had a college-age daughter who literally went off the rails while she was at college. She was partying. She was drinking, doing drugs, wasting all her money. And the worst part about it is that when her, her parents would try to confront her about it, they would, uh, she would lie about it, that it wasn't happening, and yet they had evidence that it was. And like any... Uh, Healthy parents, they did everything they knew to do. They talked to her, they warned her, they said, it's hurting us. They showed the statistics of what happens if you keep going down this way. They, they said, you were raised knowing God's word, there's God's wisdom, but she kept doing the same thing without changing anything. And then she started accusing them of being haters for bringing the subject up. So she was home from college on winter break. They caught her in another lie of this new life that she's decided they decided to practice these kind of healthy boundaries and they said, you know this, and we've always said it, but we don't have drugs in the house and we also have always practiced, we'll tell each other the truth. There's no lying in the house and you have drugs and you're lying to us. And they said, it's breaking our heart. And they said, you have to leave. And she looked at them like a calf looking at a new gate, like, are you kidding? They said, nope, we're not kidding and you need to leave within two hours. And she's going... What are you talking about? Where am I supposed to go? And they said, well, we don't know, but you're 19. Figure it out. We will talk to you later, and we'll talk to you about this behavior, and you're lying. We'll talk about all the college education and us you know, funding that and whatever might happen, but right now you got two hours. And she was so mad. She was so angry, but she did leave within two hours. Was, this, these parents said the hardest thing they have ever done, ever done. Hearts were broken. But they were saying, we want to practice grace and truth. Ninety days later, they finally heard from her. They didn't know where she was. She finally called them and said, I'm sick and tired of couch surfing. But she said, I'm so sorry. I get it. I've been lying. And this craziness was my fault. I want help and I will do anything. I am listening and I am truly willing to learn. They brought her back. They had these tough talks so that they could begin building trust back into the relationship. I'm not saying every single one's going to go just like that in that timeline. But I've seen God's truth play itself out in beautiful, amazing ways. But it is tough. I'm telling you, grace and truth will transform your relationships. She got better. Her academics got better. Her faith in God grew. She started choosing friends that had the same goals of pursuing Jesus. These parents said, we hope we never have to go through that again, but we wouldn't trade any of it because of how we all grew. They said, we wanted the best for her in love, and so we used our words, then we had to move into action. If we hadn't set consequences, she'd still be off track. Okay. This is how God restores relationships, and it's our responsibility to build better boundaries. There is great hope for your relationships, y'all. But you got to cooperate with God. His truth, the laws of relational physics, will bring restoration. Paul said this, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. 
Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. John said in his gospel, he said, The word became human and made his home among us, and he was full of grace and truth. 100% grace, 100% truth. You need to know Jesus. You need to be living by God's word. And let's see if he can't improve the situation in our relationships. You get it? Good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for giving us an opportunity to talk about these things. It's tough. It's so tough. But then I look at what you've done to come to our rescue. You went to such lengths. You sent your only son to die for us. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Lord, help us to understand how much you love us and then turn around. We want to turn around and we want to love people with that same kind of grace, same kind of truth. We ask for your Holy Spirit's power to redeem these relationships in our life. And may you forever get the glory for that. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.